This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday time for our Zoomer squad and... Two of them are in studio. That's lovely. And as we head into Christmas with Hanukkah celebrations already underway, uh, this is a smaller menorah than usual. But, uh, hey, we have it. Well, it's it's not in the camera shot. We'll work on that for tomorrow. Uh, our menorah is on. But some of us are worried about the lack of masking and flu shot uptake, which doctors warn will lead to a bad situation in January. Uh, there's also year-end financial stuff to deal with, and the question of whether Zoomers will be part of the trend to fewer charitable donations this year, or will they come through as usual? Uh, we've been through the pandemic. There's very high inflation, so uh, I'm curious to drill down on that. And what are you thinking about as we head towards the end of the year? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome David Kravitz, Vice President, Zoomer Media and Chief Membership Officer at CARP, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. You can see them both on camera, and Bill Van Gorder. Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Hey, guys. Hi, Libby. Hi, everyone. Hi, Libby. At least I'm here in spirit. Well, you're here on more than spirit. You're here on the phone. Phone is good. Uh, Let us begin with David. You have some numbers on the charitable giving. We've already seen numbers that saying that it's down for the year. Well, here's what I dug out. The last year before COVID, I'm using the same database we use for a lot of our stuff. So the year before COVID, um, 63.64% of those 65 and over had made a donation to a Canadian charity in the previous 12 months. So 64%. The most recent survey, uh, winter of 2022, it's down to 55%. So it's a drop of eight points. But it's still higher than any other age group. All the other age groups dropped as well when you compare pre-COVID to post-COVID. So although the numbers have dropped from 4.1 million to 3.9 million, so about 200,000 less, it still is the highest participation rate, if you will. More people over the age of 65, a higher percentage, donate to charity in spite of COVID. In fact, it's 30% higher than the Canadian average as a whole. Hmm. Uh, so it's 30% higher. That was my next question. What do the other demos donate? Well, 33% of 25 to 34-year-olds, 39% of 35 to 40, 44% of 50. As you get older, the percentage goes up of those groups. But if all Canada is 100, like an index of 100, the oldest group is 131. Both times, both times they were 30% higher than the Canadian average. So I would say if I'm a charity, I'm saying, okay, maybe my absolute number of donors is going to go down, but this is still the sweet spot. This is still the group that I've got to rely on. Well, yeah, it's not just the absolute number of donors. It's the absolute number of money. Right. (laughs) That's right. In in 2020, um, I spoke with uh, one of the organizers at Charity Intelligence, and she's for for a story I did online, and and she said – in that year, $17 billion was given to Canadian charities. $10 billion of that came from people over 65. So they not only make up the most people giving, but they also give the most money. So it's a huge impact this age group has on charities. And, and, and is, it, is it just that, you know, they, 
you know, the, the theory is that by this point in life, you've uh, dealt with your mortgage, you've dealt with your children, though that's not true anymore. <laughs> um, and, and you have the money to do it. I, I'm just wondering if, if it's also a matter of upbringing and, and if younger, younger, I mean, when we were growing up, we were taught that this was a very important thing to do. And I'm wondering if that's gone by the wayside to, you know, for some people. Definitely. It's, it's, you know, the, the, uh, the representative I spoke to said it was a generational thing. It's sort of, it's baked into this generation that they give, you know, and, uh, I, I, I couldn't speak for the younger generations, but certainly for, for uh, you know, those born, you know, with parents of the de- from the Depression or during during the war years or whatever would know bad times and they would know the importance of charity. And it's stuck with them since. You know. Well, you both have children. Yeah. And David, you yeah. have grandchildren. So, I mean, you know, you see your children and their friends. What do you observe, uh, if anything, when it comes to charitable giving? I think uh, I think I see a, a bit of a decline in the branding or the awareness of charities as charities. Um, you have the Internet maybe has been partly responsible for that because you have things like GoFundMe and so on where you can go online, make a donation and just set it and forget it. So I think there's a little bit less of that and maybe maybe more money is raised. I don't know the statistics, Peter, online, but I think that the presence in the community of, let's say, the Salvation Army on the street corner with the, with the uh, you know, ringing of the bell, yeah. uh, some of those brands that were in your life um, – Seem to have faded a little bit. Well, and and also kids aren't carrying cash around anymore, right? So well, that's true. <laughs> so, you know, if you walk by a bell, there, there's no, you know, there's no digital swipe. I don't think so. Uh, they should uh, get it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, tap, yeah, and and also the the um, giving to the sort of the old mainstream charities, like the big health charities and the big, you know. Um, church groups and things like that. That's, that's again, that's a, a much more of a feature of older Canadians, you know, who, who would just cut the check every month or, or write a, a series of checks for the year rather than younger, the younger generation who just through anecdotal evidence, they, they seem to need a story to be moved by and, and then they'll give. You know? Well, yeah, sometimes, I mean, these charities are. <clears throat> yeah. They, 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 they need that because if it isn't physical in their life, if it's just online, it's just too easy not to click. They don't know you anymore. I'd also mention, this is really dating myself, but I think in a lot of communities, whether it was the church or the community center, the coin box, there was, you had this coin box yeah, yeah. in your house and you put your yep. quarters in every week. And uh, so there was a sense of physically watching you know, we're peeling out a little bit of money, maybe pennies this week from the family kitty, and we're putting it into the coin box. And then you and at school, that, too, and at school, yeah. too. At, at my school. What I was going to say was there the stories, right? I get uh, I'm on the mailing list for a lot of charities and I get the stories and uh, the videos and, and they want to talk uh and sometimes, you know, I've researched what I support. I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to watch the video. I don't want to talk, but, you know, here's the money. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, so, But you're saying that younger people need the Just, video and the heartwarming story. I think and- so. I, I think so, yeah. Just anecdotally speaking, I, I, I couldn't put that to the test. But uh, certainly I, I, I think it's, it, you know, people who are so comfortable in that setting will need – appeals through that setting. Bill, what's your take on this? Well, um, as you know, I was the CEO of a, of a health charity prior to coming to, to CARP. And one of the things we, we knew uh, then, and it's been happening for the last 15 or 20 years, is that the uh, participation rate and the giving rate of the younger generations is going down. And if it wasn't for the fact that uh, Canadians over 55 are giving more to uh, charities, we'd be in a worse place than we are uh, today. Overall, 
some of the surveys. There have been recent surveys by Charity Village and and Imagine, the Canadian Centre for Philanthropy, all showing that cumulatively uh, donations, for the most part, are down almost 44% in actual dollars over the last uh, five five years. And uh, those numbers are also skewed by uh, the the very larger uh, charities, the hospitals and universities being lumped into the same uh, numbers. The, the ones who are still not struggling quite as badly are the local um, poverty and focused group uh, charities in uh, in local communities who tend to be extremely well supported by uh, older, uh, older, older people. Uh, but we are losing ground, and and even though uh, online fundraising has grown enormously over the last few years, the amount of dollars that it's bringing in uh, as as opposed to what was coming from those same younger groups before. And it's a real worry because as uh, as those groups get older, uh, there's a real fear that they won't give to the same levels that older uh, Ontarians are today. You know, and it's much more convenient to donate online. I have to say, just the other day, I made a donation and it was followed by, do you want to pay for the cost of processing it? And it it wasn't completely trivial. It was 36 bucks. Yep. As opposed to a few clicks. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you multiply that. They're big. I mean, it's a big advantage for them in terms of manpower and everything. And for the person donating, you don't have to uh, you know, chase people for a tax receipt or uh, whatever. The donations do. The donations do tend to be smaller on online. It's people uh, uh, and and people spreading out their donations. One of the the things that fundraisers uh, try to say to to donors is pick a couple of the charities you really want to support and give major amounts to them rather than giving small amounts to many, many charities because the money will go further and less of your money will be enough by the attempt to uh, get your money in the, in the first place and those costs. The problem is that online fundraising really tempts, tempts people to give $10 here, $5, $25 uh, over many, uh, uh, many other charities, and then the impact is not nearly as, uh, as strong and the total donations end up being less. Yeah, and you're right, and more gets eaten up with fees. And uh, for people like you end up being deluged with more and more requests for money, which, right. uh, yeah, um, I'm going to take a call from Tony in Keswick. Hi, Tony. Hey, buongiorno e buon Natale. Uh, buon Natale e buongiorno. <laughs> You remember when we were kids at school to give the UNICEF boxes back yeah. in the early 60s and whatnot? Um, you're probably a little younger than that. Uh, you're a lot younger. But, um, and we used to take them home, and my mom used to say, we'll give what we can, and then she always did find something to put in there, and then we went to her. Uh, but now it just seems like we're getting bombarded, you know? Like today, I, I, it's only noontime, and I've been to three stores, and, you know, God bless them. They're trying to do their best. And, you know, we had to tell and they ask you, uh, would you like to donate? Uh, I hate know, that. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and I felt like a chump. And then <laughs> at Sobeys, you know, give me a plug, there were the kids outside with hockey, right? <laughs> you know, to buy stuff for their hockey thing, and it goes towards their tournament. And the parents are like, where does it stop? And I could just, you know, I'm on a fixed income now because I'm 65. I just turned. and uh, Happy birthday. You know, and I, I donate. Thank you very much. And I, I donate to where my niece passed away of breast cancer. Oh, so I no. donate there. And my little nephew passed away at 10 years old, uh, brain cancer. So, I, you know, I donate to kids and I donate and I donate. And then sometimes you go, man, you know, like, I got to wash my nickel and dimes here sometimes. You know, so God bless them. They all mean well. They're doing a great job out there. But I hate when they ask you, though. And you get to stand there and go, whoa. We're, we're going to get that to that in a minute, Tony. Thanks for your call. And uh, people, if you want to uh, talk about your uh, charitable giving for this year or at your thoughts on the whole thing, the numbers 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And here's what gets me. <laughs> and I had a, a bit of an experience uh, the other day. But 
say a grocery chain like Loblaws that is raking in record profits and that is actually under investigation. So they ask you, will you give two bucks? Well, no, because that two bucks, then they say, look what a great corporate citizen we are. This is what we're donating and it's yours and my money. Uh, and it's not that I need the credit, but I don't want them to get the credit. <laughs> it well, was not to mention the food banks inside the supermarkets. Right. Well, uh, the, the, that is, uh, that I'm okay with because the big grocers are big donors to yeah. food banks. And when you talk about food waste, it's way upstream. Yeah, it's yeah. not what you're throwing out at home. And, uh, even though when you see those, it's, it's easy. If you just had a big order to throw a couple of cans in there, though, I don't do it because the stuff that I might have is probably not exactly what they need. I give, I give the food bank cash, uh, but I know not everybody is in a position to do that. And, you know, if you can throw in a can of tuna or chickpeas or whatever it may be. It's, it's just easy and convenient. We have, we have one in reception yeah. here. The, the um, problem, one of the things Tony alluded to on the call, yeah. uh, he used the word inundated. And I think yeah. part of the issue today is the fragmentation and multiplication of communications channels. So the, when the baby boomer generation, the 65 plus were growing up, you had fewer number of TV stations, you had a fewer number yeah. of, it was easier for a charity to become identified. Today, it's fragmented into so many different channels between online and TV and radio and that whole, um, the accessibility, the feeling of connection to a charity. I mean, we haven't even talked about um, dating myself again, Boy Scout, Apple Day, Girl Guide Cookies. <laughs> no, but the kids took part in uh, a regular, accessible, uh, yeah. organic kind of experience. And now it's all so distant and remote and removed and fragmented that I think that's breaking down that kind of intimacy with the charities. And there's also fragmentation. I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, we have supported Daily Bread Food Bank forever, right? And uh, even back before we were married, which I guess was the dark ages, like, uh, uh, my husband, you know, had a set night that he volunteered there. Well, now there is a multiplicity of food charities and they all issue. I mean, I'm, I even wonder, is there duplication of resources? Cause, uh, a number of them issue their own reports, which I'm sure cost a lot of money to produce. And then there's the question. So which one, and they're all members of there's, uh, you know, uh, uh, umbrella food banks, but they're just, you know, um, there's, there's almost too many of them. And I know that in some cases there's been consolidation in the sector and it's hard to know how well it is. Like they say, it's just, but, but certain things like back offices, you know, it's, that's a waste of money. It, in terms of back offices, again, with the food charities, one thing I want to investigate going forward is really w why are so many of you issuing your own reports? Right. And that's that's with good intentions. Then you only yeah. need one or two spectacular examples a year of maybe not necessarily the cleanest run operation. I'm thinking of, you know, whether it's the we charities here and that no. little mini scandal. No, but you only need one or two of those yeah. to say, well, where is the money going and how much are they spending on, uh, um, the as you say, the back office? And It's not just back office. It's how much are they spending on salaries and how much yeah. staff? And, and people tend to look at, you know, charity intelligence works up those numbers, uh, you know, on how much they spend on administration and, and right. fundraising. Right. And there is a benchmark, you know, that it's, sh you know, it shouldn't be too high or too low and, and should really shouldn't be much, shouldn't be more than a third. But then you talk to the charities and they say, well, we needed to do this or we needed to do that. So there are all kinds of things to consider. Uh, Dean well, Holland, one, one of hi, are, this is your day off, isn't it? Hey there, yeah? Yeah, hi. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's my day off. I was on last night. How are you today? Fine. How are you? 
I'm really well. I'm really well, and I'm appreciating the conversation. And I, you know, I wanted to to call in because I've got uh, I have four children, uh, two in university, and they uh, just both got home in the last couple of days. And we were just talking about this this morning. And a couple of observations. My my 19 year old goes to school in Toronto. My 21 year old goes to school. She's fourth year uh, in a city outside of the the uh, sort of east or west of of Hamilton. And uh, you know, they got talking about. She said, "I would really like to give back to the food bank." And one of the reasons, one of the things that really hit her, is that she lives across the road from a from a church. And this church has a food bank once a month. And she has been, um, she's observed that once a month, she said, Dad, these people, they line up for a bag of groceries for and for hours. They, I see them across the street, and they line up. So she sees the importance of it. And so for her, that was, seeing it right in front of her face has made it especially important for her. And uh, certainly we like to think that we have brought them up with, uh, uh, you know, uh, that, uh, that it's important to give back to the community. But then my 19-year-old, he chimed in, and he said, you know, he said, I've been told by some of the, the business people that I, you know, that I, you know, travel around with who are at the university that uh, that they would rather not donate through the grocery stores because she says, he's, they, get, they get a big tax break from all of that. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, interesting no, how they're both processing. You keep the tax break. <laughs> yeah. I do. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, and I, it's interesting to see how they're processing giving because, you know, I identify with UNICEF boxes and with dropping pennies in here and the collection plates and, and I pop in the kettles and I do that because that's how I was brought up with. And I do still carry around a bit of cash, especially certain times of year for that. But they're coming at it from an entirely different angle given their age. Okay, Dean. Thanks very much. Nice talking to you. Uh, yeah. And I just want to relate a little story. So uh, I was in the LCBO with my husband, and he was paying. And the woman asked, do you want to donate $2 for whatever? And he was literally pulling out his wallet. And I said, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, we don't. And the woman there who was behind the cash, like her back really went up. You could tell she was not happy (laughs) with me at all. Um, uh, And I... I think I sort of explained why, but, but yeah, I mean, I, it's, you know, on the one hand, I guess they help raise some money, but they mostly help themselves. And, and it's a very you different know, type of experience. Sorry, go ahead, Bill. Dean raised a, a, a really good point, uh, uh, kind of pass it in his comment, and that is the personal involvement. The other thing that we've seen going down in uh, dramatically in recent years is volunteerism. Yeah, and it's only in the older the older group where that's staying. staying well, up. that's pandemic related of, too. I of, think part of the well, we don't know. It started 15 years ago, yeah. and uh, was a bit, that pandemic just made it uh, worse. And part of part of what's come out of that is that people give in relationship to things they they really know. Fundraisers call them the the inner family, the people who are connected. The less people who are actually involved with charities personally, the less they're going to give and less amount they're going to give. So his his example of his his, uh, offspring living across from the church, seeing this happen, is just a good example of, of where you need to have people have that kind of involvement before they really understand the needs of the charities and want to give. If we don't cure that problem, uh, we're, we're never going to cure the, the uh, decreasing giving amounts either. Yeah, and the other thing is, I think that maybe, and I'm, I'm looking at the clock, maybe we'll have to take this up again, um, uh, is I think a tipping of the scales, because the whole thing has been so corporatized, right? Because I remember when I was on the board of charities and talking to people saying, we need business sponsorship and the way to get the business sponsorship, don't talk about the cause, but talk about what it can do for them and make a good business case for them supporting us. And uh, maybe we've just gone a little too far with that where you know i think you're right i think you've 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 hit a very important point be well worth talking about another time well we've got um like three more minutes left we can social marketing like yeah 
it's and, like banks benefit tremendously from that, right? Like they get the halo effect of a well, cancer yeah, run or something or, you know. And, well, you know, sometimes it's a big sponsorship and it's it's fine. I don't mind. I certainly don't mind a naming right. It, you can have the CIBC run or whatever. But and and some of it is so little. I mean, I uh, I get emails from things like, uh, you know, beauty and, and skincare web websites and the big headline is you know buy a gift that gives back what are they giving a, a penny from the sixty dollar serum or what is it i mean just too much but i that, mean even that, that speaks to what we've been talking about um with dean and with uh, bill about immediacy versus distance so for example hospitals have been successful in saying the money is going to go here here is the new wing taking shape in front of you. Here is the new x-ray machine we can buy or, you know, whatever it is. So there's an immediacy to say, okay, if I, if they, if the thermometer goes up and we're all familiar with those hospital thermometer campaigns, you know, percentage achieved. Okay. They're going to bring in five new x-ray machines where I can see a direct connection where if it's corporate, I kind of know that the money's going there. I don't think a major corporation says we're supporting mental health and then they're giving it to their executives. But on the other hand, having given the money, what's happening to it? What's the connection between my 10 bucks and the millions that are going in there? Um, I think it's a tough communications problem to create that immediacy. It's easier to say, here's the new wing, here's the new lobby of our theater, here's the improvements to our church hall, whatever it is. Um, but it's a tough communications problem. Some of these charities are enormous. Is Princess Margaret Hospital really just a lottery attached to a hospital, or is it a hospital that uses a lottery? And and a bunch of other things. I, I understand yeah. that, but but from the point of view of the I, consumer, I can attest. That, Princess Margaret is 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 a hospital and a center, and they do a ton of good work. Of course so. they do, but the point I'm making they is are they very have a rich foundation. They have a big foundation. They have a big ad budget, and that's where you get this kind of communications muddle. It's unavoidable. But I think it's a challenge for that whole sector. Uh, we have thirty seconds left. This Sorry is a great that. topic. It's a great topic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, who wants to get the last uh, uh, the last twenty seconds? Bill, are you ready for the last twenty seconds? <laughs> You're wasting the twenty seconds. I, I wasted the twenty seconds trying to think what what I could say other than. Uh, uh, we won't see you till after the uh, uh, the holidays are all over for all of us. So uh, hope everybody enjoys the next week. Okay, Thanks, that's so. a good message. I uh, I'm off next week. I'm not sure. I have to look at the schedule. If you guys are back, but thanks very much. And and people, uh, I hope our conversation hasn't deterred you from uh, giving a donation. You'll get a nice tax receipt. And and uh, you know there are over eighty thousand charities in Canada. Canada, you can pick something that speaks to you. You can look it up on the Charity Intelligence website to have a look at the financials, uh, and um, you'll feel better. <laughs> you'll feel good. And keep up the strong tradition of Zoomers That's as right. charitable donors. That's right. Okay. We're 30 seconds over. Thank you so much. <laughs> David you. Kravitz, Peter Mugridge, happy and holiday, Bill everyone. Van Gorder, Hi, and happy everybody. holidays. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, there is a shortage of blood donations over the holidays. We'll talk to someone from Canada Blood Services to drill down into that one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It is a different aspect of the healthcare crisis, the need for blood. And Canadian Blood Services has 25,000 empty appointments to fill before the end of the year because of a large number of cancellations or no-shows due to a combination of colds, flu, and COVID-19. So, numbers to call. Uh, are you donating blood? Uh, do you plan on it? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. 
1040. And now I'm joined by Jennifer Mathieu, Community Development Manager for Canadian Blood Services. Jennifer, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much, Libby, for having me. Okay, so what are you finding on the ground? Uh, Is it all to do with uh, really a a spate of illnesses uh, that have been going around? Yeah, you know, I think it's a combination of that. um, And, you know, we're... We're right on the cusp of, you know, the winter holidays. You know, I think Christmas is, you know, really a few days away and people are hustling and bustling. They're busy. You know, their regular schedule probably gone out the door. So those who may be on a regular donation schedule, probably, um, you know, they're busy doing other things, friends and family. Um, and, you know, this is, I think, the first um, Christmas that we haven't been in a lockdown in a couple of years, right? So. Yep. Uh, you know, as much as we are all hopeful that the worst of the pandemic is behind us, we're really continuing to see the impact of COVID-19 through a number of appointment cancellations. And, you know, if you're not well, you can't donate. And it's no secret that many people are unwell right now. And it's not just COVID. It's, you know, people have colds, they have flus, and there's so many other viruses out there. So, you know, all of those things combined, we're just seeing a huge number of cancellations and no-shows and just people just not booking. Uh, okay. Uh, so part of the problem that, that I see is that the, the expectation is that it might be even worse after the holidays. We tend to start seeing, um, the most challenging week starting sort of this week. And then after the holidays, um, as we start to go into winter, Winter storms could really impact collections. People are having fun doing winter activities. Um, and then, you know, there's so many other organizations really vying for the attention of consumers because there's a lot of other organizations that find that they um, see a dip in their business as well after the holidays. So we, we, wish, we are hoping that our donors keep us in mind when they're thinking about what, how they're planning their weeks and their weeks ahead and hopefully book an appointment to donate blood. Okay, so first of all, uh, are there restrictions? What are the rules? Like who qualifies to give blood or who doesn't? Um, Big question. Um, So we generally say if you're in general good health over the age of 17, um, you could you probably would be a good candidate to donate blood. However, there is there are a lot of restrictions. Um, You know, medication for one. um, You know, you could find the top. 40 most prescribed medication lists that you could still donate online on our website. However, if you are taking medications, we encourage you to call our one donate number and speak with an information nurse, and they'd be able to let you know if it's safe for you to donate blood while on that medication. And does you know, this, sorry, does it like blood thinners or... Yeah, you know, for the most, most blood thinners are okay. Um, it really, it's it's very specific to uh, type and frequency and what you're taking them for. So any medication, we just, we advise people to give the one triple eight number a call. And then you can have that conversation one-on-one with an information nurse and they'd be able to let you know, um, you know, first, if it's safe for you to donate and then B, they could book your appointment right there for you. So. And is there an age cutoff? For blood donation? Uh, there is not an age cutoff, no. Um, and a lot of our uh, longtime donors um, probably are big big listers to your radio station. Um, so as long as you're feeling well and general good health and your doctor says it's okay, you know, please consider booking an appointment. Uh, it's interesting, you know, we were just talking about charitable donations and how in terms of percentage, the the people over 65 give the most. Uh, do you find that in terms of blood donation, older people are also at the head of the pack? Um, yeah, I generally would definitely would find that. Um, and if you go into any of our donor centers, I think that you would see that as well. A lot of them are in there celebrating huge milestones, you know, 100 donations, 200, 250. And if they're plasma donors, they could be donating or celebrating, you know, 600 donations. So we do tend to see a lot of our our older population uh, taking the most of our appointments, which is why it's so important for us to reach out to our younger demographic and hopefully get them into um, a habit of donating blood. And, you know, maybe if they do it once or twice, it'll become a lifelong habit. And uh, what do you, is it just that they're kind of, you're not on their radar? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, Definitely the pandemic has made it a little bit tougher for us to reach the younger demographic. We used to host a lot of in um, secondary school um, blood donation events. We used to go into high schools and do presentations. So there's been a lot of restrictions about that. And, you know, so we're, we're kind of waiting to see how things evolve and hopefully getting back out into the schools and speaking to the younger demographic. And also, you know, we used to attend a lot of in-community events, so we haven't been able to do that um, as much as we have done in the past. So it's really hindered our ab- ability to reach um, the younger demographic as much as we have been in the past. And uh, is there a particular blood type that you need more than others? Well, we need all blood types, but the um, O negative donors are especially in need. Um, and this is because this blood type can be transfused to any patient. So in times of emergency um, or for newborn patients, the O negative blood, which is the universal blood type, really does make a life-saving difference when literally seconds count. And uh, I'm just looking at the numbers here, and they're pretty kind of eye-popping. 31,000 fewer donors than before the pandemic. Yes, uh, we're seeing um, our lowest donor base in about a decade. So it is very concerning that the donors that are donating, they're the ones that are sustaining the, the current inventory levels. And I mean, that can't, that can't continue. Uh, we need to get um, we were hoping to get 100,000 brand new donors this year alone um, into our donor base. So we're looking, and, and you mentioned at the top of the um, segment that we're hoping to still fill 25,000 appointments by the end of this year. And the end of this year is creeping up pretty quickly. Oh, it sure is. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm also looking at blood products. So uh, frozen plasma, 42 days for red blood cells and five days for platelets. It was ironic. We were with friends on the weekend and, and one of them is, uh, he's a guy who's marching towards a milestone with blood donations and he's okay. saying, well, I've got to get in there because I'm giving them platelets now. So oh, what's, amazing. The, what's the difference for donating platelets and they're only five days, but uh, tell us what these other blood products are used for. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, when you donate, when you go in to donate blood, you are donating, um, all of the components. So you're donating red blood cells, white blood cells, plasma, and platelets. So I'll just sort of explain a little bit of what each one does. So red blood cells, they carry oxygen to the organs and tissues and they remove carbon dioxide through the lungs. So, Red blood cells are typically used during emergencies, surgeries, and various cancer treatments. Um, so the white blood cells, um, white blood cells protect the body from infection. Most people know that, but they can also carry viruses and bacteria. And for this reason, we remove these from any donated blood. And then you have plasma. So plasma is the liquid component of the blood that carries nutrients to all parts of the body and it carries waste out of the body. It's sort of like your cell transportation system. Um, it's rich in vital proteins that are used to treat uh, patients undergoing extensive, extensive surgeries or traumas um, or if they've um, any like fire victims or patients with bleeding disorders. And then finally, platelets. So they are your, this is your clotting factors. So this is platelets, platelets will help to control bleeding. So, you know, when you cut yourself and you get a scab, those are your platelets at work. And those are used primarily to treat patients with bleeding disorders and cancer. So somebody who might be undergoing leukemia treatment, for example, could be coming in on a weekly basis to have platelet transfusions. So, um, in the majority of the GTA, we have whole blood um, donation of that uh, sort of donor centers available. And um, at some of the centers, you could donate platelets and plasma as well. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at the clock as usual. We're running out of time. What would you like <laughs> to leave us with? Um, you know, we're... We're just encouraging anybody who can participate. Um, and you know what? We ask you ask a family member, a friend, or a colleague to book an appointment with you to donate at the same time. Um, you know, consider giving in honor of patients that are in holiday or in hospital. So while many of us are going to be at home celebrating with our family and friends, there are so many people that are in hospital and they're unable to do so. So 
Giving blood is one of the most precious gifts you can give this holiday season. It's not going to cost you a penny, and yet you could be making all the difference in the life of somebody else. Okay. Thank you very much, Jennifer Mathieu. Thank you so much, Libby. It was a pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We are taking another break. And when we come back, do you have a uh, beef with the CRA, the Canada Revenue Agency? Well, a lot of people did. We will talk about the kinds of complaints, the numbers of complaints in the year that was when we return. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Do you have any issues with the tax man or the tax person? Many people do. Complaints about the CRA doubled this year compared to pre-pandemic days, and many of them were about delays in receiving COVID-19 benefits, delays in getting validated for these benefits. I've, I've got to say, to me, that's surprising, given what we're hearing about the large number of ineligible people who received serve and other benefits. But uh, what's your experience? Did you have a good experience trying to find information, accessing your account? Did you have a bad one? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free one 1- 866-744-740. And now let's go to Canada's Taxpayers Ombudsperson, François Boileau. Hello there, and thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for, for uh, having me. Okay, well, I didn't even know there was uh, such a person. So uh, tell me about sure. uh, what you're... You're not, what you're, you're not the what, only one. Okay, well, what is your, your term of reference, and who do you report to? Actually, um, even my my own family it took a while for them to understand where I'm I'm working. It's such a well kept secret. Uh, it's so I'm the uh, taxpayers uh, ombudsperson, so I report directly to the Minister of National Revenue, the Honorable Diane Le Boutier, and it's a mandate uh, for five years. And what we do is that we receive complaints from the public uh, in regards to any CRA service issue. And we, uh, we try to carry our duty by being fair, objective, and impartial. Um, and of course, confidential, uh, which is really important when we're talking about the CRE. So, uh, we receive complaints from the public and we also do systemic, uh, issue when we see a trend that is, uh, that is, uh, disconcerting for a large number of people or for a minority. And so we see, uh, when we see such trends, we, we do a systemic examinations as well. Boy, you know, uh, you said you had a, a lot of complaints. I'm surprised that people even found you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a well-kept secret. Uh, but actually we've, uh, we, we, we doubled uh, the numbers of uh, people that uh, made inquiries into our office uh, last year and also made complaints. And we, we more than actually the numbers, it's, uh, I believe it's 130% more urgent requests for financial assistance that we, uh, we received and went through, uh, to, to the CRA to make sure that the, those people receive those benefits if they are entitled to in a timely manner. But it was, uh, it was uh, a difficult year. Uh, we, we learn, we, we hear about the pandemic being over, uh, but people actually struggle. And it's kind of interesting that the auditor, auditor general came out strong from one point of view, which is value for money uh, about the program. And I'm coming from another point of view, which is service issues. And from our perspective, complainants were having difficulties in receiving their benefits, uh, of which they were entitled to or claimed that they were entitled to. And it took a long time uh, for the CRA to get uh, get this done. And for while it's not a huge number for in perspective of, of the of the amount of people that did receive uh, those uh, emergency benefits, when we're talking about uh, seventeen hundred uh, people, that uh, more than seventeen hundred people that requested financial assistance, we're talking about seventeen hundred uh, families and individuals that have real issues uh, providing for, for their family, putting food on the table or paying the rent. And so that's why we uh, we were prompt to receive those uh, urgent requests for financial assistance and and send them through the CRA. And the CRA had to answer, not at 
not answer, it's not a right word, uh, to provide, um, to engage a discussion, uh, an exchange, a conversation with those complainants within three days, and we would monitor the situation to so that uh, they would uh, receive their, uh, their benefit if they were entitled to. And how long, on average, did it take them to get a response from you? Well, for us, it's really, uh, it's quite uh, immediate, uh, actually. But from the CRA, uh, it, it took a long time. So people were confused going on the CRA website. So you say that, that you apply and for uh, an emergency benefit, and um, you wait a couple of weeks, and then you go on the, on the website, and it says that it's going to take, on average, four weeks. Okay, fine. You can deal with four weeks. You wait six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, and then you call us and you say, well, this, this is you know, what's going on. And, and so our exchange with the CRE was that people, uh, the CRE told us at one point that the, uh, the clock start ticking once the, 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 um, uh, once the application is being assigned to an officer. Well, excuse me, but the, the person doesn't know that. Uh, it's not written on the website that the, uh, that, you know, there's another, another internal clock that start ticking once the, the, the file is either complex or non-complex, but it's going to be decided once it's assigned to an officer. And how long so, does that take? Well, that's right. So that, that's where we came in, uh, to say to, to suggest to the CRA, well, change your website, uh, and try to be up to date. So let's say that you've, uh, you've sent a complaint on April, uh, 4th. And you're now uh, studying complaint that uh, were received on March 20th. So that week, you know that you're already behind, but you're, you don't have to expect to receive an answer within uh, within that period of time because it's it's it matched where the CRA is 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 where at. But that's not what the CRA decided to do. They they they've yeah. upgraded their website to say that it's eight weeks. But even <laughs> so, it wasn't it, it wasn't. Uh, we often heard that it was much more than eight weeks. So that's why we accepted urgent requests for financial assistance so that it could go through directly to the CRA and the CRA would uh, would provide an answer to to uh, those families uh, within a matter of weeks. Okay, yeah, I'm going to take a call from Pat here in Toronto. Hi, Pat. Hi, Libby. Okay, uh, you've got a story. Well, I've been in the business. I'm a, I'm a tax accountant. I've been in the business for 49 years. And um, my best uh, long response was two years to get a response. And I had one just last week where they said it would be 15 weeks uh, or uh, no, uh, uh, yeah, 15 weeks before we would get a response on a very simple issue. But people, please don't bark at the workers at CRA. It's not their problem. It's the problem of the mandarins up above them who don't give them enough staff, etc. And um, it's very sad. But uh, the the interesting one is with regard to this foreign reporting. And anybody who has assets of more than um, $100,000 in foreign assets is supposed to fill out this form. Well, the interesting thing is it's the only place where CRA will pay a finder's fee and there's a great article which uh, I will send okay, you. Okay, Pat, I, no, I, I don't think that... IRS paid out $104 million for finder's fee. Okay, I, I, I don't think that particular one uh, um, affects that many people, but uh, two years, I think, is uh, a bit too long for anything, and eight weeks for something simple. I'm going to let uh, François Boileau respond. Thanks, Pat. Well, common sense dictate that two years to wait for any response, uh, even if it were complex or not, it's still really too long. So it's ba- it's a bad service issue, and that's the kind of case that we can take on, uh, as uh, as my office do. We we do receive complaints in regards to service issue, and this clearly would be one of them that would I would be happy to to take on. What about so that? Uh, don't don't uh, don't forget about us. What about wait times? I haven't tried calling the CRA yeah. for a very long time. I'm not sure that I would. But uh, how you, you long? Don't have three hours to wait or five? Uh, sometimes uh, no. You know. No. Well, no. Well, that's why we made a recommendation last year uh, to uh, end this uh, nightmare uh, of, and and uh, incorporate a callback feature like we we see in many other places. And actually, some branches of the CRA does have callback, issue, uh, callback features. And do they work? Not, 
So for the, the small divisions that take care of this, yes, it does, um, because it gives a, an opportunity to for the client to know that tomorrow at 2, you'll receive a call, and there's actually a, a, an identity, and you'll receive a, a, a number for the person that the person will actually give out to make sure that it's actually a, a CRA employee that speaks to you, uh, and you can actually call uh, yourself. So there's a lot of way to ensure security, um, but for the general inquiry line, line, this is not a feature that exists. But the CRA said yes to my recommendation of last year, and I can't wait to see it uh, implemented. Okay, and I I remember back in the day. I mean, you talk about same day uh, uh, identity verification, and I know mm-hmm. fraud is a big problem now. I remember yeah. back in the day, a couple of times, if I called the CRA uh, and I waited, I mean, it, I probably you know gave them my social insurance number over the phone, but I called them. I I assume that's not how it's done anymore. No, actually, and. Uh, so I made a recommendation this year because it's it, right now the CRA will will provide uh, a a code that will be sent uh, through the the, the postal uh, mail the the snail, snail mail and you'll receive it if you receive it uh, in ten you know in, in a matter of uh, many weeks um, and so this is not how you do business in 2023 almost so we recommended that that. We, the CRE would follow best practices from elsewhere and even from private companies that do uh, offer uh, same-day validation identity. You go to the post office, for instance, if they offer that service. I'm not making uh, being an advocate for the post office, but you can go to the post office and receive uh, a, a validation of your... They will check your identity and they will provide for a way to... to, to send this information, the confidential information, to whoever asked for it and, and paid for it. So CRA could do the same. They could, they could work with, uh, with other third-party um, secure organizations to ensure that uh, validation on the same, not only validation, but identity uh, validation would, be, would, be, would happen on the same day. Well, you've had hacks. The CRA has had hacks. Of course, but it's... It could prevent, actually, it could prevent fraud uh, if you go that direction because it does not prevent fraud, fraudster to, uh, to, um, to do their thing. There's always going to be bad apples. And, but there's a way to circumvent this and to be as secure and modern as possible. We're still not talking about emails at the CRE. Can you believe this? So it's, it, we're still talking about um, sending stuff to the, the, the mail. Okay. And, um, sorry. Yeah. Um, we only have a few seconds left. Can you give us the email address or the phone number uh, where people can get in touch with you very quickly, uh, please? Absolutely. So our uh, phone number is one eight six six. Yeah. 586 Okay. All right. And ne- any Google or other uh, Bing or whatever you 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 type, ombudsperson taxpayers and bingo, you'll you'll find us easily. Okay, thank you so much for that, and happy holidays to you, Francois Boulot. Thank you so much for inviting. Me. Okay, bye bye. Bye. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.